Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Oh, 2021, you were chock full of surprises. So in honor of this most unusual year, we're bringing you some of the most thought-provoking, funny, emotional, inspiring, audacious conversations of the year, including how one 94-year-old felt about seeing herself in a wedding dress for the first time. When I walked out of the dressing room and looked in that mirror, I said, who is that lady? And find out what it's like wholeheartedly regretting becoming a parent. And on the flip side, what effect does a therapy baby have on someone? Plus, hear a few stories from an emergency dispatch operator at Burning Man, my first attempt at auctioneering, meet a man who makes art that requires a microscope to see, and what the guy behind those I Love You Jesus billboards hopes he sees on his billboard when he gets to heaven. I hope it said you weren't successful, but you tried like hell. I'm Kyone Wolf. Stay tuned for some of the best audacious interviews of 2021 right after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're looking back at some of the most audacious interviews of 2021. And I say some of the best because really, if you listen to this show on a regular basis, you know that they're incomparable. But hey, When you got to put out a best of episode, you got to put out a best of episode. And these voices that you're going to hear today, they're particularly powerful, funny, surprising, and real. All right, let's get to it. In September, we profiled a few audacious elders, people 90 years and older, which included Martha Tucker of Birmingham, Alabama. A video of Martha, who's 94 years old, had gone viral. It was footage of her at a bridal shop trying on a beautiful wedding dress, the kind she always wanted, but never had. When she got married to her husband, Lehman, in 1952, she wasn't allowed in many stores because she's black. When I connected with Martha and her granddaughter, Angela Strozier, I asked Martha to tell me about how she met Lehman. Oh, we grew up together. We were childhood playmates and ended up a sweetheart. Now, what was it about Lehman that made you want to marry him? What was he like? Oh, everything. Everything about him. Handsome? Yes. Smart? Yes. Loving? Yes. Generous? Yes. Funny? Everything. <laughs> everything. But I, I didn't think I would ever be his wife. Why not? I just didn't think that he would go ever want to marry me. But we came up all the way from childhood. Skip forward a few decades, and Angela, you were watching a movie with your grandma. Will you talk about watching Coming to America and and how this idea came to you both about this dress? Coming to America is one of her favorite movies, so... Anytime she sees on, we're going to watch it. Uh, we know the monologue almost by memory now. <laughs> but this time, it got to the wedding scene, and she threw out the line, I want to try. I've always wanted to try on a wedding dress. I didn't have one when I married. Well, that was news to me because 
we've always been told that the earlier pictures of her, my grandfather was destroyed in a house fire. So I just assumed that any wedding pictures or anything it was, was destroyed in a house fire. I've never asked any question about the wedding day or the wedding or, or the wedding dress out of all these years. So when she said it, I asked her, I said, are you for real? And she was like, yeah. I said, grandma, we can make that happen. And she kind of gave me a look like, yeah. I said, if you want to go try on a wedding dress, I'm going to take you to go try on a wedding dress. David Bridal allowed you to register for appointments online. And so I scheduled it for a couple of days, which was that Saturday at July 3rd at 1.30. So I told her, I said, okay, grandma, we got a date. And she kind of gave me the side eye. She thought I was joking again because she and I joke a lot. So I said, I'm serious. I said, we're going to get your makeup done. We're going to do the whole nine. And she was, mm, okay, okay. That's what she's, okay. I said, all right, Saturday, you better be ready. So about 10 o'clock Saturday morning, I called to make sure she was up. And I said, okay, we're going to go try on a wedding dress. So the rest is viral history. <laughs> <laughs> now, Martha, yeah. when you walked in to David's Bridal in Hoover, Alabama, what were you feeling? I was feeling great. I was feeling like I was going in to really get set up for my wedding. And one dress faced me when I went in the door. I said, that dress got my name on. So you knew right away that's the dress. Will you describe the dress? It was low cut and had long sleeves. And uh, the, the, the design was gorgeous. I just really can't go through with it. I also saw a picture. You had a garter belt on as well? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they put me on a garter belt. <laughs> and it's beautiful, too. Now, when you looked at yourself in the mirror with the gown on and the garter belt, what were you thinking? What were you feeling when you saw yourself? When I when I walked out of the dressing room and looked in that mirror, I said, who is that lady? <laughs> I, that lady looked good. And then that turned on everybody. The ones who were in that dress, really trying on dress to get married, they got excited at me. But uh, I just, it just looked like I was getting married. If Lehman was there, what do you think he'd say? Oh, my God. There is no telling. <laughs> there is no telling. I just, I, at that point, I wish he had been there. This video went viral. <laughs> uh, what kind of reactions did you get from people? I can't even explain that. I don't even know how. Well, first we had to explain what going viral was. That was was the first thing we had to explain to her what going viral was. And so now that she's had the opportunity to speak to people and to tell people her story from literally across the world, um, she's had interviews yourself up in Connecticut. She's had interviews with someone in Brazil and Atlanta, California, she has had multiple interviews. So you all have created a viral 
diva. Don't you agree? I agree. I have enjoyed the scenery and I have enjoyed all of the interviews, but I never thought this was going to go this far. I just wanted to try on a wedding dress and see how I would have looked. And I found out if I had had on everything that, that go with it, ain't no telling. <laughs> Did you feel as good as you looked? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martha Tucker and Angela Strozier, thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you for having Thank her. you for talking to, to us. And it was nice meeting you. Now, on this Best of 2021 episode, we're going to take a trip, you and me, to a place where things are not as they seem, because there are not always, but often hallucinogens involved. There are 80,000 people in a desert in Nevada for nine days enjoying music and art and consensual adult experiences. So it's not hard to imagine that here at Burning Man, a temporary city that appears but once a year except when there's, you know, a pandemic, things can go wrong. So for our show about what it's like working in emergency dispatch, we had to hear a few stories from Tonto Goldstein, who's better known by his Burning Man name, the Hebrew Hammer. He's been doing dispatch there for six years. And here are a few of his stories. So there's a few thousand people partying. It was two o'clock in the morning. No lights. It's in the middle of the desert. The only lights are from the DJ stage and whatever other lazy lights or LED lights they got going on and whatever, ever, where every, whatever people are wearing on their costumes that light up. So there's no floodlights. Really hard to see, but the call came in that there's a possible man with a gun. So we've been volunteering there for quite a few years and I've never gotten that. So, it, you know, passed it on to the law enforcement because we cannot handle that if there's somebody with harm intentions. I actually want law enforcement. And it turns out after 45 minutes, it came back as unfounded. Next morning, I call up my supervisor and I went, oh, so what's the story? It's like, it's kind of hard to go from a man with a gun to nada. You know, it's like, oh, well, the, the rangers went out looking and it turns out it was just a man with a large, you know, personal pleasure device in a holster on his side that was black. And somebody in the audience saw him walking around with the device inside a holster and got alarmed. It was a terrifying moment at first, but afterwards we all had a really good laugh about it. So nobody got hurt in a way that they didn't want to. I have no idea. Like, in all honesty, I never followed up with the, the gentleman that was carrying that device in a holster. He might have regretted it the next day. I have no idea. But whatever he did, we, he did with full intentions to himself. <laughs> so tell me about the call you got about a seizure. We get a call from one of the volunteers uh, that works in maintaining the city infrastructure, DPW. Says we have, uh, he has a possible uh, a female having a seizure further out in the, the middle of nowhere, middle, further out on what's called deep playa. So, yeah, we, we dispatched, uh, we sent out one of the mobile units as well as an ambulance to back it up. First, you know, based on our protocols, whatever our protocols are. So after about five minutes, I call them and I ask them if they have an update. You know, like I need to mark them in our dispatch system, whether they're transporting or, or treated and released or they got an AMA or whatever the case may be. 
And they said, no, we're all clear. We're good to go. And I'm like, you know, you, how do you go from a female having a full-on seizure where everybody can see it to we're all clear to go? Did you provide any assistance? I said, no, nah, she was just doing yoga. And then just for, for a moment there, I could not respond. And, and yep, but that's how we put it into our system. She was doing yoga. It's kind of weird. In the civilian world, every once in a while, you'll get weird calls and it's unfounded or false alarm. How does this fall? Does this fall under unfounded or yeah. go for vigorous yoga? It's vigorous movements. She she was enjoying <laughs> herself and she was doing again with the right intentions. She was doing something correct, but a concerned citizen called it in and asked us to check up on her, and we did. Well, this has been wonderful. Tonto Goldstein, the Hebrew hammer. Is it okay if we let everyone know that oh, yes, you're the two, that you're the same that, person? Okay. That is perfect. I don't know. I've never seen Tonto Goldstein and the Hebrew hammer in the same room at the same time, is all I'm saying. Nobody but has. Thank you. <laughs> but thank you so much for talking with me. It's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. For this next segment of the Best of 2021 show, imagine a tiny piece of art. Do you picture maybe a, a diorama? Okay, go smaller. Maybe the art you see on a postage stamp. Mm, smaller than that. How about a sculpture that can only be seen with a microscope that's fitted with room to spare inside the eye of a needle? Dubbed the eighth wonder of the world, Dr. Willard Wigan has made dozens of these sculptures, and the Queen of England, among a few others, is on his client list. It started off when he was a kid. He accidentally smashed an anthill, and he felt bad that he'd taken away their home. So he built them a new, tiny house. Willard told me that when his mother saw what he'd done for the ants, she told him. If you make things smaller, your name will get bigger. So you know what I did? I got a toothpick and I carved all the Beatrix Potter characters on a toothpick. You've heard of Beatrix Potter? Yes, sir. And my mom said, too big, not small enough. So I got a, the point of a toothpick and I carved a little bird on the point of the toothpick. And you don't have a microscope at this point? No, I was doing it by eye. I was only a young kid by eye. And then when she seen it, she said, it's still too big. So now, if you tell a kid who's autistic that it's the best but it ain't small enough, then the possession kicks in. So now I am now possessed to become the greatest micro-artist in the whole world of all time because now I'm now driven every day of my life was to create things that couldn't be seen. My mum would always say to me that you can say lots of words and mean nothing and say a few words and mean everything. So my mum would tell me to show the world how big nothing is because nothing doesn't exist. So show them that how big small things really are. So from the age of five, I never stopped making small sculptures, never, ever stopped. And I was never satisfied. What I did, I was never satisfied with because I kept thinking it's not small enough. 
So I want to give my listeners an historical sense of what you've used for tools in your sculptures. For example, you've made a paintbrush out of a single hair from the head of a dead fly. And (laughs) this blows my mind. As a tribute to Buzz Aldrin on the moon with the American flag, you, you recreated that in the eye of a needle. And in order to get the flagpole, you snatched a piece of dust from the air. Like when you walk into a sunny room and there was dust in the air, you pulled dust from the air to make the flagpole. What? Well, I could see some of them had shapes like look like angels flying around. So I used to take them out of the air and I wanted to find things that were so tiny that you just couldn't see them. I wanted to make them become a part of me. It depicts me for who I am. I wanted to show the world, you know, how how big small things really are. Will you talk, too, about how you've used your body? I mean, when you're working on such a small level, your pulse, your respiratory system, you have to work within the most subtle movements of your body. And I've even heard you refer to uh, your pulse as a jackhammer. That's right. That's when when I'm carving a grain of sand. I use a tiny little broken piece of diamond and put it inside an hypodermic. When that's inside the hypodermic, I would use my pulse as a little jackhammer to chip away. You know, there's no way I could just use my physical force. I'd have to use my pulse. You see, you get these external forces that interfere with you on a microscopic level. You get static electricity, the surface tension. There's all types of stuff that interferes with you when you're working on this molecular level. And what it does, it, it can actually destroy the work. So the only way to do it is by working between your heartbeat. And you've inhaled your work before, too, accidentally, of course. Yes, I have. I, I, I did one of Alice in Wonderland. I inhaled Alice. Somehow appropriate. I don't know. I don't know why. Well, my, my, my girlfriend at the time burnt my apple pie, and I was a little, little bit upset. And I went, oh, no. And I inhaled Alice. When I see your work, I smile, I hold my breath, apparently sympathetically. What other kind of reactions do you get to your work? They've all said, this is the most amazing thing we've ever seen. The Queen of England was so overwhelmed when I made a small crown for her on the head of a pin in 22 karat gold with all the little gems inside the crown. The Queen wanted me to deliver this tiny crown to her at the palace, which I did. And it was, I would say, the biggest moment of my microscopic career. The Queen of England wanting one of my sculptures. How big is that? Yeah, how big is that for something so small? She said it's the biggest, smallest gift she's ever had. There's a saying, little becomes much in the master's hands. So I wanted to make little become so much more. So it speaks for me. So my work would speak for me. I wouldn't have to, it's like a defense system, you know, because I can't read, I can't write very well. So my work is going to articulate for me. It's going to talk for me. And it does. Because when children come to my exhibition, they go, wow, I've had people cry, I've had emotional things, all types of stuff. Yeah, children, adults, queens. Yeah. You know, when you hear people say, oh, I can't believe this is amazing. Then people call you the eighth one of the world. And 
people in the nanotechnology department can't believe what you've done. And it's, it's amazing to know that something so small can have such a big message in the world and say so much. Your story is, it's like made for a movie. And so who would play you in the movie of your life? I don't know. Idris Elba, probably. I can see that. They are talking about doing a movie about, you know that already. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're talking about that, it. But see, probably... clearly, I didn't even know that and I suggested it. It's how great an idea that is. Oh, I would like to move it back. I suppose it'd be a very inspirational one. Well, Willard Wigan, thank you so much for your time and your brilliance. And thank you, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you very much. One day I may make a little one of you. <laughs> Don't get my hopes up, Willard. Well, you know, we'll work something out. We'll work something out. All right, we'll talk. Yeah, well, you know, my public radio career is going to get huge, so I'll be able to afford a commission instead of waiting for you to surprise me. Yeah, but I'll look after you. I won't, oh, you know, I'll look after you. We'll work something. I look forward to it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. When we get back. It's not that I don't specifically want my kids. I just would choose a life without kids if given the opportunity again. What it's like wholeheartedly regretting having kids. And then an inverse of that sentiment. Never ever did I feel embarrassed or anxious because I had my baby with me. Actually, my baby made me feel less anxious. Hear from a woman who uses realistic looking dolls therapy babies. Plus my attempt at auctioneering and a conversation with the guy who picks up the phone when you call the number at the bottom of those I love you Jesus billboards you see around our state. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is some of the best of Audacious 2021. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and today we're taking a look back at some of our favorite episodes from 2021. Right now, it's baby time. There were two baby-centric episodes of Audacious in 2021. One featured people who use realistic-looking baby dolls as therapy dolls. The other featured women who wholeheartedly regretted having children. And the only way these women felt comfortable talking to me was if they could use pseudonyms, because... They feel as though their friends and family and, well, I mean, their kids would ostracize them, not feel that great if they spoke publicly. Meet Anna, not her real name, from Iowa. She has two kids, aged one and four. And I asked her how these babies came to be. Well, I know how they came to be, but, you know, how the idea of having babies came to be. Um, my husband and I had been married about a year, and he basically was at that point where he's like, okay, I want to have kids. And if not, then I think I'm going to have to move on. You know, he said it very politely, but those were the circumstances. So we had a child, you know, I love the baby stage. So that first year of life was really great for me. And then after that first year is where I more <laughs> have grazed over to the area of, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> um, our second child was not exactly planned. So that definitely added to it. But really that first year where kids can start making decisions on their own and become their own person, it's just a lot to handle uh, and you really lose yourself in it. 
Your husband feels the same way as you do, yeah? Mm-hmm. What was that conversation like? That actually just came out pretty recently. Um, so really, he just, you know, mentioned jokingly to me one day, you know, I kind of wish that, you know, we wouldn't have had kids. And I said, I agree, but I was serious. And then I think when he took a step back from it, he kind of realized, yeah, I think so too. It's just kind of something that you don't openly admit. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're joining me using a pseudonym and I totally appreciate why. What kind of reaction do you think you'd get if down the line you felt like sharing this episode or coming out and saying, you know what, this is me and this is how I feel. What kind of reactions do you think you'd get if you did that? Well, that's kind of why when I reached out to, you know, your response for a meeting with someone to talk to, you're supposed to love motherhood. It's supposed to be glamorous and beautiful and gorgeous. And well, first of all, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I would never want to be. It's not a diss to stay-at-home moms at all. It's way too much work. I would go insane. But I'm a working mom, so I already have the guilt of that on on top of my plate that I don't spend enough time with my kids. So to say that the little time that I do get with them, I don't enjoy, you know, that has a negative connotation right there. And it's something that I really can't even share with family members. Some mom friends I can share it with because I think that they understand just how laborious and all-consuming motherhood is. But really, you have to walk a fine line of what you're really willing to share. So the only person that I can talk to it really is my husband and my therapist. I want to ask if you love your kids, which feels like an offensive thing to ask. But that said, do you love your kids? Yes, I do. I think whenever I have to say, like, I don't like being a mom or whenever I want to say that, I have to, you know, give the pretense that I love my kids and that they're well taken care of. I think for me, the better question is, do I love myself? And which do I love more, the version of myself that I was before kids or my version afterwards? Do you know what the answer is? I mean, I think that's what I struggle with every day. But if I could go back, I would choose myself without kids. The question itself is a really big philosophical one. Can you love something, someone that you regret and I wonder if, you know, you, you love your kids and you're, you're locked in, right? You don't have a choice. Right. But when you take yourself out of it and look at it, like, can you love something you or someone who you regret? What do you like? What do you make of that question? Isn't that really what Stockholm syndrome is all about? I mean, not that my kids are my captors necessarily, but I mean, I am, I'm locked into this life but it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the human beings that they are and for who they are. It's not that I don't specifically want my kids. I just would choose a life without kids if given the opportunity again. How do you balance not wanting these feelings to be perceivable by your kids and truly embracing how you feel like these two things how do they coexist how do you manage that they really don't I mean that's why I go to therapy like 
I, I do EMDR therapy. So I'm literally reprocessing feelings that I am forced to hold in all day, every day and keep them to myself until I get that one hour a week where I can feel them forever. Yep. Well, Anna, thank you so much for talking with me. Good luck out there. Thank you so much. Have a great day. On the other end of the spectrum, I think it's safe to say, are people who use realistic-looking baby dolls as therapy babies. We did a whole show on this, which culminated in this conversation with Patricia Bartolome of Perth, Australia. She was struggling with depression and anxiety after becoming estranged from her two adult sons when she heard about these so-called reborn babies. She went to a collector to buy one, and the collector put the baby doll in her arms. And I just burst into tears. This, um, you know, have you got children? No. No. Well, this is something that a mother who has had children can feel. When they first put the baby in your arms and you feel that little, the little weight, that the, ah, oh, and it just, I just kept crying and I kept saying, I want her, I want her, I want her. And my sister's looking at me and she, she thought I'd lost the plot. She said, you know, with all this thing going on, you know, she's lost it. But anyway, she said, well, I'll buy it for you for Christmas. So she bought it for me. It was $300. And, oh, my goodness, I came home and I had her in bed with me. The next day I went to the op shops and I bought baby clothes and I bought a capsule for the car and I bought a pram. And I said to her, look, I don't want to embarrass you if that's what you feel, but what she gives me is what I need to stop my anxiety, to stop, you know, seeing a mother with her child. But then, you know, she saw what it was doing to me, how it made me feel. It's my therapy baby. And I started, you know, continuously saying that it's my therapy baby. So then people become a little bit more, you know, gentle when they hear therapy. So then they ask me the reason why. And, you know, sometimes I would say a little bit more and some I would say, oh, it's, it's a sad story. I don't feel like saying talking about it. But never, ever did I feel embarrassed or anxious because I had my baby with me. Actually, my baby made me feel less anxious. When you scratch at the surface of what this is doing for you, can you talk about it? Because your, your sons who you haven't seen in so long, you know, they're grown and they've grown up quite a bit. Yeah. And this is not, uh, you know, an adult son baby. This is a baby baby. Yeah. And I wonder, like, can you talk about what what that connection is, what this baby is tapping into for you that's bringing you that healing? The reborns are tapping into my nurturing side of it. I cannot hug uh, my children. I have a granddaughter. She's four years old now. I have never seen her. I don't know what she looks like. Um, I haven't spoken to my sons for 20 years. I'm missing out on this nurturing 
you know, even even though your boys grow up and they become men, they will always be my babies. Do you know what I mean? I think every mother feels this, that their children never really become adults in their eyes because, you know, it's their babies. So it just helps me to nurture. This is what I need. I need to give my love somehow and receive love in return because that's a world law. I mean, that's the law to love and be loved. That's the antidote. Yeah, that's what these babies do to me. They then, you know, I know they're dolls. I know they're not babies and I don't, you know, sort of like sometimes I'll, if I'm in a hurry, I don't take it out of the car. I leave it in the in the capsule, but I cover it up so no one breaks my windscreens because <laughs> police have done that. <laughs> police have done that? Yes. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Not to me, but they have done it, yes. And so, yeah, it's just the loving, the nurturing that I feel I'm overflowing and I've got no one to give it to because I've been, it's been taken away from me. So I have these little babies who I just hold and hug if I feel sad, you know, if it's like one of my son's birthdays or Christmas. I hate Mother's Day. Mother's Day for me is is the worst day of the year. I do not go out on Mother's Day. I will sleep all day, make sure that I sleep all day so that when I wake up, it's the next day and it's past because I can't cope. I can't cope with that. What are some ways people just don't get it? Like what kind of misconceptions do people have that you're always up against, you always have to answer to? Some people find them freaky because they don't move, but no doll moves. So it's just that they're so realistic looking that you expect it to move is how is how realistic they are. Yes, that's true. They are very realistic. Um, some people would say, oh, but aren't you ashamed of yourself at your age to go around with a pram and a doll? You shouldn't be doing that. So I just let them talk. And then I say, but doesn't your husband have, you know, that beautiful car he keeps in the garage and only takes it out on a sunny day with all his money? And he talks to it and he names it. <laughs> and takes it out with his mates, you know, and they go and do the laps around wherever. What about your other, you know, to somebody else, what about your husband? He's always sitting in front of the PlayStation, role-playing, killing people. And you're, and you're telling me that I should be ashamed of myself? No way. I, <laughs> I'm not killing anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. If you don't want to talk to me or don't want to see me, that's fine. And you know it's a doll. Yes, yes. That's just it. I know it's a doll. But it's what it makes me feel. It just does something to my brain because I know that when you hold a baby, it stimulates some hormones in your brain. They're good feel hormones. And I want those hormones. I want to feel good. I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel as though at 65 I'm not of any use to anybody and it's just not fair. I have to stay on this earth until God takes me. And if he decides to take me at 100 years old, what am I going to do for the next 35 years? <laughs> so... Bring on the babies. Patricia Bartolome, thank you so much for talking with me. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Shoot me, baby. Shoot me.
after the break. Lucky you, if you want to clean up the ruins of your life, you can have Shark Navigator <laughs> vacuum. Don't we all just want to vacuum up all of our troubles? This is going to start at $50. That time I tried auctioneering for the first time. Plus... I constantly get people telling me, Father, I, I don't do much praying, but when I'm in a car and I see your billboard, you got me to pray. What happens when you call the number on the bottom of those I Love You Jesus billboards you see around our state? I'm Kyone Wolf. These are clips from some of our favorite episodes from Audacious 2021. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, some of the best audacious interviews of 2021. One thing we want to do more of, especially once the world opens up safely, is to do more experiential interviews. You know, where I go out, clip a little mic on my shirt, clip a little mic on the other person's shirt, and experience the world with them. Maybe they're a professional cuddlist, or they operate an ice cream truck, or they're a secret shopper, or some other brilliant idea you have for me. Email me, cwolf at ctpublic.org. But back in July, for my show about audacious auctioneers, I went to Golden Gavel Auctions in East Windsor, Connecticut. Ralph Labazo took me under his wing, gave me a few pointers, and you know what? I don't think I did half bad. All right, we're gonna we're gonna switch off for our guest auctioneer. Okay. She's never done it before, so be nice. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. But I did get a little bit of a crash course beforehand. I know that silence is not good uh, when you're an auctioneer. You never want to stop talking. And it's a good thing I'm on the radio because I never stop talking because I'm on the radio. So that's all I got. Um, Please be be gentle. Okay, so what are we doing? A bench scroll saw. This is a 16-inch bench scroll saw. It's made by Tradesman. It's got a red color and it's got black. And the box looks a little rugged. But aren't we all a little rugged inside? Uh, We're going to start the bidding at... $20. $20. I want, do, I, do I have $20? $20. It's a whole thing. You cut yep. things. That's $20. I see to it. Can I get $22? $20, $25? 25, $25. I see $25. $25 for this piece of art. It's a piece of work that's going to make another piece of work for you. It's a piece of art. And we got $20, which is very generous, but maybe $25. $25 to get $25. Can I get $22? $22. $22. Oh, we got $22 over here. What good no taste do you have? It's $25. Do I hear? 20, now we got 25 coming, right? 25 is on its way. 25, 25 is a nice round number. We love 25. 25 is a quarter of 100. It's not $100 for this thing. It's just $25. Can I see 25? We're going to 22, 20, 25, 25. 25, can I get 25? Am I going to keep talking until I get 25? Will I subject you to this until I get 25? And you can stop me from talking and get back to Ralph, who knows what he's doing. 25, can I get 25? Are we going to final this at 22? I think you got 22. We got 22! Thanks. Sold. Sold. 38. 38 your buyer. 38's my buyer. Thank you (laughs) very much. Oh God, dear God, I'm so sorry. Oh, lucky you, if you want to clean up the ruins of your life, you can have Shark Navigator (laughs) vacuum. Don't we all just want to vacuum up all of our troubles? This is going to start at, what do you think? It should start at $50. $50 is a bargain for this. It says professional on the box. Have you ever wanted to be a professional in your life? Congratulations, you can be a professional with $50. Do I have $50? Fifty dollars. Anyway, we got thirty. Thirty dollars. Yeah, we have thirty. We're gonna go to thirty-five. Thirty-five dollars right here. Thank you. I'm gesturing outside. We have forty. Forty is the next going up, and then we're gonna do forty-five. And you know what? I hear fifty right behind me. Fifty dollars makes you a professional, isn't that something else you can go to? We have fifty. We're gonna go for fifty-five. We have fifty-five over here. Thank you very much. Do I see your sixty? Sixty right behind me. 
do we have? 65. $65 is a nice number. You feel good about that. It's a shark. $65 for a shark. 65. Oh, 65. Thank you. We have 65. Do I have 70? We have 70. We have 70. 70. Let's go 75. 75 is three quarters of a hundred. I graduated high school, but just barely. $75. Do I hear $75 for a shark? It's a shark and you don't even have to feed it except with the crap on your floor. $75. Do you like $75? I love 75. 75. Do we go 75? I love 75. I'm going to say 75 over and over again. I think that's it. So we have $70 sold to 400 You ready for one more? Oh, God. Shark Week. Oh, I missed opportunity. I tried to tell you. pretty good at All right. You got a hot commodity. It's a coffee pot. Oh, good. Coffee. That's what we need more of right now is coffee. Coffee. I sure could use some coffee. Maybe you could make me some coffee after this. So we have the Psycho. <laughs> Renaissance <laughs> collection, coffee maker. We're going to start this at $10. Are you kidding me? A 10 over yeah. here. Thank you. We have 10. Do we have 15? We got to have 15 for this. It's a brand new coffee maker. And if you could do $15 on this, you could do $15 on a bag of coffee. You would spend $15 on a bag of coffee, let alone a coffee maker. So do I hear $15 on a coffee maker? A coffee yeah. we have. Yes, yeah. we have good taste in coffee makers. Do I hear 20? 20 yeah. is even. We got 20? In the green. We got 20 in the green. Thank you so much. Do I hear 25? That nice quarter of 100. Yeah, $25. $25 over here. 25. Do I hear 30? We've got 30 dollars for this brand new coffee maker. $30. Are you kidding 30. me? This is $30. Thank you very much. $35. dollars $35. $35. $35. $35. It's like two gourmet yep, bags. Yep, so $35. Yep. We have $40. $40s even. $40s. Two $20 bills. You have two $20, but I know there's taxes and stuff. I learned about that today. $40 for this brand new coffee maker. I'm going to have to have a cup of coffee. $40. Uh, we got 40 Great at $45. is on the table. $45. $45. You can, you can think about all the coffee you could drink for $45. It's a $45 machine. $45 for this coffee maker. Do I hear $45? $45. $45. $45. Forty-five and uh, gibberish, gibberish, and we're good at forty. Sold to number eighty-seven. Awesome. Thank you, thank you. Back to Ralph. Back to the professionals. No more talking for you. Jeez, that's exhilarating. Thank you. That's the life of the Thanks to the good folks at Golden Gavel Auctions in East Windsor for having me and to their master auctioneer, Ralph Labazo, for showing me how it's done. When we were thinking about what we needed in this Best of 2021 episode, we knew we had to play you this next conversation. You know how you see those I Love You Jesus billboards alongside the highways in Connecticut on I-84-91 with a phone number at the bottom? Well, I always wondered what would happen when you call. So I did, and Father Ed Nadalny picked up. I asked him, who else is he hearing from, and what do they want to talk about? Adultery is very popular. Unfaithfulness is very popular. And this guy was crushed. He was married and uh, ended up crushed, and he felt so guilty. I can't forgive you on the phone, but I can give you a blessing. And so I helped him. Or the guy I picked, who picked me up in Hartford on um, one of the billboards, and we talked until we got to New Haven. Uh, and he says, I'm gay. And I says, well, I'm heterosexual. Uh, you go your way, I go my way, but we're both going God's way because we are created by God in his own image and likeness. And God made you just the way you are, a beautiful person that you are. And nobody ever told him that he was a beautiful person, uh, that being gay is a gift from God. It's not a curse, but a gift. 
and he invited me down to Greenwich Village there where he, he plays the organ or something like that. Well, I can go on with my father. My, my, my wife just left me. My father, I've got cancer. Father, my uh, son's on drugs. Father, I'm uh, possessed by the devil. Uh, father, my son just committed suicide. It's a parish without boundaries. That's what uh, Billboard says, plus TikTok and uh, Instagram and Facebook. But as far as the billboards, I constantly get people telling me, Father, I, I don't do much praying, but when I'm in a car and I see your billboard, you got me to pray. So the billboard is a kick to pray. When you hear your phone ring, what goes through your mind before you pick it up? Jesus, help me help that person because nobody ever calls me up and say, Father, how you doing? They're not interested in me. I'm here. They're interested in my service. All I can do is listen. The essence of communication is listening. So to answer your question, when a person rings, I said, Lord, help me, help me listen to this person who is hurting. I try to pray and listen when they call. I have to think that in some way, having these calls coming in and coming in and coming in keep you company too, yeah? Well, yeah, it makes you feel important too. I'm a human person. So being single and um, uh, never married, and I have two or three marriage problems a week, and every night I kneel down and say, God, thank you for keeping me single. But, but the uh, I'm lonely, and like all of us are lonely because we're restless until we rest in the Lord. We're just here for a time. Uh, I'm 88. If I got a couple more years, I'll be lucky. Death is my graduation to eternal life. But in the meantime, you're lonely because you're not fulfilled. So how do I fill up my loneliness? Not because I'm uh, such an active priest, but I'm active to handle my loneliness. But unless you have an intimate relationship with somebody, that loneliness is going to kill you. That's why I feel so sorry for the young adults who don't have a relationship with God. And when you don't have a, relation, a personal relationship with God, you're awful lonely. If I didn't have a personal intimate relationship with God, I wouldn't know how to handle all the other uh, relationships I have. And I'd be more so, so using people for my sake instead of their sake. And if you have an intimate relationship with somebody, you want to please that person. And how do you please that person? By reaching out to other people, uh, being very active, handles my loneliness, and also handles my relationship with God. God motivates me to go out to listen to people. When you get to heaven, I think it'd be kind of a nice touch if they put up a billboard for you there, you know? If they did that, what do you think it would say? What are you doing here? <laughs> what you make me cry. I hope it said you weren't successful, but you tried like hell. You weren't successful. God will never judge me on my success. God will judge me how much I tried. And as long as I, I'm trying. I'm not successful, but I'm pleasing him. And I hope God says, thanks for trying. Are you still there? Yeah, sorry. I was just thinking about what you said. I also wonder, you were saying that, you know, people call to talk about themselves and the things that are hurting them or confusing them, and they don't ask you how you're doing. So, Father, 
Nadalny, how are you doing? Well, I'm not. I'm not okay, but I'm okay. I've got some. Uh, some people think I got mental problems, but I had that all my life. Uh, but no, I'm okay. At 88, I'm like I'm alive. I got up and said, "God, thank you. It's another day." Uh, but my parents died in the year, in their 88th year, uh, so I'm kind of sober about the fact that you know my my time is coming too. So uh, I want to spend the uh, rest of my life uh, uh, reaching out to loving people. And not uh, waste time uh, brooding on riding the uh, a treadmill of revenge or riding the treadmill of uh, hurt. Uh, but just uh, God gave me so, so many more years left, and I just want to do is please him. And the best way of pleasing them, him is by loving everyone that comes into my life. Well, Father Nadalny, thank you so much for picking up my call and talking with me. God bless you. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. Before you hang up, uh, yeah. may God the Father bless you, and may God the Son heal you. May God the Holy Spirit strengthen you, and may Joseph and Mary intercede for you, and all the saints pray for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. I want to say a sincere thank you to every one of the guests who joined me this year, whether or not you're on this Best Of episode. I hope these little snippets have made you want to subscribe to the show and check out some of the episodes we couldn't fit into this one. Plus, when you subscribe to the show, you always get to hear it a day early. So get on board wherever you get your podcasts. And our webpage is ctpublic.org audacious. That's where I'll have links so you can hear the extended versions of all the interviews you heard today. And I want to say thanks to you for listening, for telling your friends about the show, for sharing it online, for giving me feedback. This is my dream job, and not a moment goes by that I don't know it. And if you didn't like it so much, I couldn't keep doing it. So thank you for making this possible for me. This show is produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, who turns out is the producer of my dreams, and Katie Talarski, whose instincts and standards I try to raise myself up to every day. And thanks to the interns who pass through our station, Thank you for your work, interns. I know I'm going to be working for you someday. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf, And my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening and happy, oh please make it be a happy new year.